to You Got This, a podcast about teaching and learning and sustaining community for everyone at Thompson Rivers University. I'm your host, Brenna Clark Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning Technology and Innovation. We're housed within open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Tecumloops Te Swetmuk within the unceded traditional lands of Swetmukulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And this week, like many of us, I've had occasion, I guess, to think a lot about, well, reconciliation. Let's get into it. So I'm recording this essay on Friday, October 1st, the day after our first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. It was an interesting day. I wasn't really sure how to manage it with my child, who is four. I thought about how I came to understand the truth of this country's history and and I'm still learning it at 38 years old. And I thought about what Cindy Blackstock said about the importance of raising a generation where Indigenous kids feel welcome and part of the community, and non-Indigenous kids don't have to apologize anymore. And I think, I mean, a huge part of that has to start with doing the work, doing the learning. I was grateful to CBC, the kids section had some really good videos, introductory explainers on reconciliation, and we already have quite a few books by Indigenous writers, so we spent some time reading and talking, and my son asked really thoughtful questions. It was sort of a long and emotional day, obviously. I think it was for everyone. I think, at least in part, that's kind of the point. But one of the interesting pieces was I asked my son to help me decide where we would donate some money yesterday. And I'll share some links to charities um, in the show notes that I, I think are doing especially good work. And the way I tried to frame that question to him was to ask him what he had learned today that he wanted to take an action on. What was something that he learned about today that he wanted to try to help with? And then I started thinking about that for myself, too. It can feel so overwhelming, this notion of reconciliation. And for settler scholars and for people who work in education as settlers, we have to recognize this whole abusive history that we sit in the legacy of all the time. I guess for that reason, I tend to gravitate towards educational charities, but more and more, I'm wondering what reconciliation will look like in the university when the rubber really meets the road, for lack of a better, less cliched phrase. We're really good at the language piece, but I'm not so sure we've figured out the action part yet. And while I agree that the role of the settler scholar is very much to listen, at a certain point, we have to put that listening into action. I'm not sure I know what that looks like yet, 
I signed up yesterday for an, an edX MOOC on Indigenous education from UBC. I'm really excited to learn more and to have conversations about what practical change looks like in the institution and whether decolonizing an institution so profoundly rooted in white supremacy and colonial systems of thought, is that even possible? The truth is, I don't know. And I try to remind myself that it's a massive change just in my lifetime that we're even having these conversations. They didn't have a place in my education, and they will have a place in my son's education. I don't believe that time always bends towards justice. We have to do the bending, <laughs> and that's hard work, and sometimes we shy away from it, but Perhaps that's what a day like yesterday gives us, a venue and time and focus. Change has got to come, though. It's got to come. Something that does give me profound hope for the future is talking to our students. And I'm so excited that this week I get to bring you a conversation with one of our students. Amna Kazi is a nursing student and a student storyteller and an all-around dynamic person. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So I am here today with Amna Kazi, which is a real treat because we don't often get to chat with students on You Got This. Uh, so Amna, would you introduce yourself um, and maybe let people know where they might see you around campus or the kinds of roles you fulfill? Hi, Brenna. It's so nice to speak to you. I've heard your podcast and I've seen it advertised and I've, I've been a little bit curious about it. Um, so my name is Amna. I am a second year nursing student. So that consumes a lot of my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my life is centered around my textbooks and clinical hours. I'm also the BC Nurses Union student liaison for my year, as well as um, part of multiple different like volunteering things within the School of Nursing. So I help out with the CNSA conference that's coming up. I also am part of the Dean Student Liaison Committee. So just multiple different volunteer roles within the School of Nursing. Um, I'm also a intercultural storyteller in the Faculty of Student Development. So I come up with intercultural learning resources and promote the ones that are already existing. Um, so that's a really big part of my life as well. I'm also the Biology Undergrad Society's president, so um, <laughs> you, you, you may be able to see me a lot of places. <laughs> I was going to say, Amna, you're extremely busy, like extremely busy. That is a lot of hats. Yeah, that is true. But I think a lot of people think of these hats as responsibilities, but for me, they're kind of like my unwinding time they kind of help me find a purpose to life because if I'm just sitting in class with a textbook and that's all that's going on in my life I start feeling like I am not progressing anywhere like where is this taking me sure it's getting me a degree but you know it's just this weird feeling that I get that I'm not fulfilling a life purpose <laughs> So just a low bar for yourself uh, entirely. Um, I want to ask you a bit about your role. Maybe we'll start with just your role here at TRU as a second year student. I have to say that 
second year folks in second year of programs are people I'm thinking about a lot right now because you know, you're supposed to get into second year and kind of hit your stride and and know the lay of the land and feel super confident because you're about to usually encounter a sort of a difficulty jump in third year. Um, but you had such a strange first year experience in nursing last year, obviously. So I'm just wondering what that experience has been like for you, the transition back to campus and how you're feeling now about being at TRU. Well, for me, Brenna, it actually wasn't my first year. <laughs> oh, that helps. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I I have been, well, I graduated high school in 2018 and went straight to university after that. I was very set on being a microbiologist. I wanted to study viruses and bacteria, <laughs> which of wow. course is very timely. <laughs> I was going to say. Yep, may have been the wrong time to switch out of that field. Um, but I wanted to be a microbiologist and I wanted to study patterns of diseases and really the more microscopic effects that mm. microorganisms can have on your health. And But as I was analyzing career opportunities and different pathways and where I could go with that, I started feeling like I miss the actual human interaction mm. part of health. Like I like health, I'm very passionate about health literacy and health equity health equity especially, and helping people be able to make, well, not making decisions for people, but helping them make the best decision for their health, which is backed by evidence and backed by science. Mm. And so as I looked for for career pro projections, I realized that I had overlooked nursing as a possible um, pathway. And um, I realized that nursing is not just about the bedside. And I know that's what people think of when it's nursing. They think of bedpans and they think of, um, you know, maybe starting IVs or just things like that. But it's a lot of thinking and it's a lot of health promotion. Mm -hmm. And so while for a lot of people, it might be the bedside that attracts them to nursing, for me, it was the more health promotion aspect and philosophical, theoretical aspects of nursing, which I still really, really love. So that's a very long-winded answer, but essentially my first year of nursing was online, um, but that wasn't my first year of school. Um, if I hadn't chose nursing straight out of high school, I would be graduating this year, which I'm not, because now I'm second year again. <laughs> but I find that for the nursing program, the, the jump between first and second year is a bigger one, compared to the second to third year one. So second year is where it gets really hard for nursing. How is it? How's it going with the return to campus and that transition out of those online classes? Do you feel, I guess the question I want to ask, but I'm sort of sheepish to ask, so you can tell me to go jump off a cliff if you want, but like, did you feel prepared? Did you feel okay to walk into second year? Now you had a few years behind you and obviously a passion for maybe some of the aspects of first year nursing that might be intimidating to some students. But um, yeah, how, how has it been? Well, I loved online school. It's such an unpopular opinion, but I loved it. It was so much, well, the stress levels for me at least were way down because it cuts out all that anticipatory anxiety of getting ready in the morning and going out and putting on a face and meeting people. But no, I'm nodding. I'm nodding as someone who like after my last Zoom call of the day immediately puts on my pajamas. I'm like, mm -hmm, yep, I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, Brenna, who told you I wasn't wearing my pajamas the whole time? Oh, I love it. 
I love it. Yeah. No, I just had my comfy pants on and I'd have a shirt hanging on the back of my chair and a tube of lipstick on my desk. So anyone coming in would think I was super, super just put together. But I found that my stress levels were so much lower and the ability to just synthesize that information on my own time was it just it helped me with my time management a lot. And I find that being on campus, it's for well, for the nursing program, it might be different for other people, but for the nursing program, the way we have our week structured is that we have two days of classes. So that's when we have all our classes, all five of them on those two days. And mostly it's like well, five classes a day, one day of lab and two days of clinical. So our weeks are really hectic. And we don't have much downtime, which is why I really just loved online learning. And everybody here thinks I'm a little bit, um, (laughs) a little bit of a hermit, but it's just, I found stress levels going back onto campus were enormous. Oh, that's so interesting. And I, you know, I was talking about this with Alicia on the podcast last week that I think that, um, there's a bit of a pressure to be super happy about the return to campus and to be like all systems go. And if you don't feel that way, I think it could be a little bit alienating. Yeah. I read an article last night on, um, Oh God, now I don't know. I think it was on the globe and mail, something like that about how it's a complete mental shift. And I was in the Dean student liaison meeting with, um, Ronnie Srivastava, who's the Dean of Nursing, yesterday. And she was talking about how we need to realize that going into COVID, we were all very conscious of the fact that we're in a mind mind shift here. It's a new system of doing things. But she said that over the year, that became our system of doing things. Eventually, we got into that habit. And now it's another mind shift. So while it might be a return to campus or a return to normalcy for our mindsets and our bodies, it's not a return to normal anymore because that had become our regular pattern. Mm. And so she mentioned um, being gentle with yourself and giving you yourself time to readjust back. But the only problem with that in students is that we don't have that time. The semester is very limited to four months. And so it's like you have to hit the ground just running immediately. That's definitely been a challenge that I've noticed in myself and others as well. It's interesting. And, you know, as you speak, I can I can hear how the threads of nursing and health promotion and storytelling probably come together to make you a good resource for people who are struggling. I was wondering if you, well, you sound like you have like (laughs) this really good head on your shoulders about how to move through the world. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how your storytelling work folds into your work as a student, maybe how you engage with other people. Like how do we tie all these that's not a metaphor that works. I was going to say, how do we tie all these hats together? You don't tie hats together, do you? I mean, I think you could if you wanted to. You'd have just a long necklace of hats and you wouldn't have to choose which one you wanted to wear. I was attracted to storytelling because I love theater. I love acting. I love being on stage. And um, I love producing material as well. I like seeing things come to fruition and come and have people enjoy work 
which is why I love theater because you can see like you went through all this effort to make something happen and it it becomes something beautiful and you can really tangibly see the effects of your efforts Mm. um so that's what originally attracted me to storytelling and because I think people connect really well through stories and through other people's experiences I would much rather so in nursing school our professors are incredible people who've had years and years of bedside and or um, office experience and leadership experience in nursing and when they tell stories about their some one of them is a is a retired military nurse when she tells stories about her uh, years in service and the different considerations of nursing I learned more that way I remember more one of my other professors um, right now was in palliative care and when she tells stories about how she engaged with patient families I learned much more and people there is there can be this especially in today's very fast-paced life there can be an aspect of removing the human human from public figures or from just people and Mm -hmm. I think telling stories and weaving through experience and failure and success you can rehumanize the world again because we're not just all Instagram photos or we're not just two-dimensional videos. We're, we're real people and it helps with empathy building. The way it all kind of ties together is I've noticed, um, I've done, I've, I, I like to do a little bit of self-reflection sometimes and, <laughs> and I've noticed that all my roles tend to be centered around advocacy and mm. promoting the best possible atmosphere, health outcome, et cetera. Just a lot around providing people who may not be able to advocate for themselves or may not know how the opportunity to feel safe. And so that ties in with my role at BCNU where I hear about different ways that students can feel supported by the union. So mental health supports. Um, If you're a nurse and or a student nurse, who identifies as a person of color, where you can get that support from, what are your rights? Um, And then with the liaison committees, it's about helping students feel heard and their concerns feel heard, and then transitioning over into things like storytelling, where I accidentally fell into the intercultural role. (laughs) I didn't set out to be an intercultural storyteller. I set out to just be a storyteller and connect the student experience and little tidbits that I had picked up over the years and put those into stories and stories aren't just you know hello today I'm going to tell you a tale of a knight in shining armor or (laughs) it can be about it can be a media production so it can be a written blog I think we just need to redefine stories but that aside um, I started out with just you know regular content and over the year I had noticed that I repeatedly felt the need for advocating for minority students. And it wasn't something that I had intentionally done or realized that I, I had been done doing my whole life, where sometimes when you're a minority or you're a woman of color or just a person of color in general, you feel that you have no choice but to be an advocate because it doesn't just affect other people, it affects you. And um, 
everything about you. Ultimately, at the core of all these things is something I really care about, which is care, right? I mean, whether it's nursing or health promotion or advocacy, um, these are all elements of care. I wonder if, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm thinking about your ability to articulate story. Um, and I'm thinking about your passion for advocacy. And I'm thinking about our primary listenership for this show, which is um, faculty and staff, you know, people who are in positions of power over student experience in lots of different ways. I'm wondering what you would think that audience needs to know about particularly the student experience this year and how you and your classmates are doing right now. Well, for students returning back to campus this year, I think it's really important to keep in mind that everybody's in a different sort of headspace and mm. we all got used to living in our houses. And there's just, I think it's really important to remember the level of anxiety and stress that students go through on a daily life. And then adding in the academic pressure is, is pretty immense. And one thing that I like about nursing is that we like to look at the person as a whole. So instead of just looking at students as two-dimensional students or people that come to class and learn, it's important to look at people with a whole lens and understand their context, which isn't always possible directly, um, but you can sort of get an idea of the population that you're in. So looking at things like do they have financial pressures? How has COVID impacted students financially? How has their mental health been affected by the stress and pressure? Um, how is the fear of racism impacting students? Um, just understanding that there goes so there is so much context behind people, and you you can, you have to truly put in some effort to get to know your students if you can, which I know in nursing is a little more possible because our class sizes are 40, mm -hmm. around 40 people, but in a 200 student class, that's not as possible. Um, but you can still analyze the population that you're dealing with, right? You can look at the statistics of the people that are in the university and then have representatives and sort of figure out ways that you can provide supports. As well as that, it's important to look at the ages and stages of people. So, and we talk about ages and stages a lot in nursing, and you need to look at where students are in their headspace. Are you expecting them to act um, or deal, be able to deal with stuff in a way that someone older than them would be able to? So understanding that they might not have all the coping mechanisms under their belt. They might not have that time management skill built into them yet. Because again, they're the, like you have to look at the ages of people. And then maybe some students might have children. They might have to deal with all of the pressures of being a parent. So it's understanding the context behind students and not limiting the stereotypical or the prototype of a student to one. It's an interesting point that you make because I think something that happens, and I speak for myself as a faculty member here, um, and this, this process of ongoing growth, it's really easy to get fixed in your head one particular version of the student. And it might be the student from when you were a student or maybe the student from when you were a first grad student teaching, but it's really easy to get kind of 
like fixated on this one human being um, who maybe doesn't even exist anymore, right? And I think that uh, even in a large class, there is space to ask, right? There's space to ask students about what their experiences are and to um, take that into account in the way we engage, the way we deliver material, the way we reach out. One thing that I've noticed with nursing that I appreciate the most is that our instructors seem to take some time to get to know us. And of course, understanding that instructors are super, super busy people. Everything's busy. Everyone, everyone is busy. Students are busy. It's really hectic and it's not always feasible to try and get to know everybody. But even if you don't get to know every student, having expressions of care Yeah, so I think sometimes when instructors express that they care for their students, it makes a huge difference. I love knowing that my instructors think of me as a a real complex human being because a common complaint from students can be that, do do instructors not realize that we have more than one class? Mm. But when instructors take that moment to go, it's okay, I know you're stressed, everybody's trying to do their best, Um, just do the best that you can and we'll work from there. Or instructors that um, are open to having a conversation about the class with you. Or, you know, just saying hello at the beginning of the class and asking, how's it going? It's just, it makes a big deal of difference when you treat people like complex human beings. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I know um, in the hierarchy of things and in the scheme of life, we get very stuck up on roles and the different roles that we have. So I'm a student, Brenna, and you are a faculty member. So when I interact with you, I'm going to be two-dimensional in that I'm going to be formal and I'm going to ask you how you're doing, but not actually you know, engage with that too much. Mm-hmm. Whereas sometimes it's important to make space for students to say, yeah, we're having a really rough week this week, but it's okay. After this test, we'll feel better. And just, you know, like checking in, it's, it's okay for people to be real people. And I think sometimes we can get caught up on the fact of pretending that we've got it all together. And especially as students, because I don't, I've never met a student who had it all together. Because if they did, I'm sure they're faking it. I mean, I'm faking it and people think I have it all together all the time. But I really don't. I struggle with figuring out how to make deadlines all the time. You know, the secret is that um, there aren't any faculty members who have it all together either. And we are equally faking it, right? Like the number of times I was writing a lecture very, very early in the morning hours before I was about to give it. Um, The truth is everybody is just trying their best. And I think that one of the most important things that we need to remember is everybody else is is struggling just as much as we are, right? And the more we can remind ourselves of that, the, the gentler we can be with each other. Right. And I'm, I think it's really great when instructors say that, oh, I've been really busy and I haven't been able to get to that. Or I don't have the answer to this question right now, but I can double check and I'll let you know. Because it, again, it breaks down that higher, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to get rid of hierarchy in total, but it breaks, it, it makes people real, which is why I love storytelling and I love nursing because we try and look at people as real people. And it's sort of, sort of that image of perfection because we look up to our instructors and if we see our instructors as people, it's a much better of a role model because I want to know that you're stressed, but you're okay because you've got you've come to class and, and you've still done that. So if our instructor is taking a sick day, 
that's fine with me. I want it. If, if you say that I'm not feeling the best today, we have to postpone class or we'll, I'll put the notes up. I like hearing that. I like hearing that you're busy and then you have other things going on and it makes you seem like a real person and it helps connect people together because ultimately to have a good learning environment, everybody has to feel safe and they have to feel um, validated mm-hmm. and they have to feel like they can make a human connection with each other. Like you don't have to tell us your life story. Like it's okay to, so like it's okay to say that you were up late doing that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's important modeling too, right? I mean, not the, not, not, being a procrastinator, although I do model that in everything I do, but in general, modeling the idea of um, fallibility and coping, right? We don't learn how to cope and how to manage unless we can see examples of that working in real life. Right. And it changes your perspective on people because say, do you, do you ever read like books from written by famous people? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, isn't it so much better when you listen to things and, or read a book and go, oh, okay, I see. Like, so Michelle Obama's book, I loved mm-hmm. reading about the fact that she wasn't liking it as a lawyer and mm-hmm. why, and her decision process. Because as her, when did her book come out? I'm not quite sure. But whenever it came out, I was in the process of switching to nursing. Mm-hmm. But microbiology had been something that I had wanted to do for you know, years and years, all throughout high school, ever since I learned about viruses and bacteria, it had been something that I'd really wanted to do. But it, like learning her from her experience of switching careers helped me feel that, okay, she's a successful woman who switched a career and that's okay. So I can do that too. And I can still be successful. I love that. I I also love that you were thinking of somebody like inspirational and describing Michelle Obama's book. And the first book that I thought of that I had that reaction to was Jessica Simpson's autobiography. <laughs> I have not read that one yet. I just, I, I have Michelle Obama's book up in my bookshelf and I look at it and I just randomly pick out pages of it to read mm. and then I put it back. <laughs> yeah, no, I loved it too. I did. I just... Apparently, my brain goes to slightly floofier places these days. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Um, Anna, thank you so much for this. I wonder if there's anything else you would want to share about either your experiences or the experiences that you're seeing around you um, with other students before before I let you go today. I think it's keeping in mind that everybody's a little bit apprehensive and it's a little strange and there, there's varying degrees of stress going around and unpredictability. And, you know, this weather is changing into the colder months and we've all had a difficult summer, at least in the interior with all the mm. smokes. And so it's just remembering that it's okay. We're, it's okay if you're not doing the best. It's just like, just get through the semester, get through what you can, and we'll reevaluate as we go. Like just, and if, if you feel like you're taking on too much, just drop a little bit down and it's okay not to take five classes. You can take four courses. That's fine. You're still going to graduate. It doesn't make a big deal. If you feel like you um, have a, you know, a dinner with a friend that you really wanted to go to, but you're feeling overwhelmed, that's okay. Just cancel, reschedule. It's okay. You know, it's just reevaluating yourself and making sure that 
you're not getting caught up in a fight to be perfect because I do that. I try to be perfect all the time and I try to get the best grades and I try to um, best possible grades. Like a hundred percent is always my aim. And I try to look like I have it all together all the time. And that, that itself is a full-time job. <laughs> it's trying to, and it's, so it's okay if you don't want to do that. Like you don't have to be perfect all the time, you know? That's really valuable. It's a good, it's a good lesson. And it's something that takes everyone, you know, there's, everybody's probably got somewhere where they're pushing really hard in their life and giving yourself permission to just take what you need in this moment. I think that's pretty wise advice and a pretty good way to leave our conversation today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Oh gosh. It's just a real privilege and a delight to have a student voice on the podcast. And I kind of can't believe it took me a year to get here. So I'm really grateful. (laughs) Well, we were all kind of invisible students for a year, so it's okay. That's true enough. Um, thank you, Amna. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed meeting you and chatting with you today. Yeah, it was great to be here, Brennan. So that is it for season two, episode five of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me. I'm bgray at tru.ca. And I'm also on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. And in both cases, that's gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.truebox.ca, and of course you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip, maybe just a tiny life tip, but um, we've got a long weekend coming up, and I always think of this as the first long weekend of the term because Labor Day isn't really a long weekend. Most of us spend it working. Um, But all this to say, have you given space for your students to actually take some downtime this weekend? And if you've given space for you to do it too, this might be a moment to take a look at your course outline and see if there's a way to lift your foot off the gas just this weekend, just so that everybody can take a breath. And whether you celebrate Thanksgiving or it's just another day to you or maybe the notion of Thanksgiving is wrapped up in all kinds of emotional weight. All three of those things um, are a good reason for rest. (laughs) So it's worth taking a look and seeing if your students can take the weekend off from your course and if they can, encourage them to do so. And maybe this is a moment for you to say to your students that you won't be checking email on Monday that you're going to give yourself a break too. And maybe you don't need to mark anything this weekend. Maybe you can take a rest. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to take my own advice, but I'm going to try. (laughs) I'm going to try really hard. And if I do any schoolwork this weekend, it's going to be on that new edX MOOC I'm taking on Indigenous education. Something that will fill me up, not leave me depleted. So that's my wish for you this long weekend is to find something that fills you up. I'm going to try to do the same and I'll meet you back here next week. Talk soon. Bye-bye.